Are you a busy woman who at times struggles with reducing your daily stress? Do you know that you need to slow down but do not know how? If you're looking at reducing your daily stress, you're in the right place. My name is Denise Eckert and I welcome you to the Calm Your Daily Stress podcast. I just love interviewing guests so they can share their stress-reducing tips and techniques with you. Now, if you find this podcast helpful, please share it with someone who struggles with stress because lowering our stress will make us a better person, a happier partner, mom, friend, neighbor, etc. And the best part is happiness is contagious. Enjoy this episode. Hi, it's Denise Eckert here, and I love coming on here and sharing different ideas and techniques to help you lower the stress in your life and to create a better lifestyle for ourselves. And today I've got Cheryl Whitelaw, and she's a functional movement specialist and CEO of Peace and Power Movement Services Incorporated. She supports her clients to learn through their movement so they can function well in all the verbs that make life worth living. Her clients share a desire to live with vitality. She calls her approach kind power. Isn't that great? She supports her clients to cultivate their somatic intelligence so they can care for themselves in every movement, feel connected and secure in their environment, and generate resilience and resourcefulness to step into challenges and aspirations with power and potency. Well, welcome, Cheryl. Hi, Denise. Great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Great. I'd like to hear your story. So what inspired you to do this type of work? I I came from a background that is really unlike everything I'm doing now. I went to school. I got a career job. So you're sitting in front of the computer, sedentary, hitting into my 30s, got into a leadership role, beginning of my 40s. And literally just that lack of movement, I was stiff. I had a total non-event back injury. I could hardly turn left and right, not because anything happened, but because nothing ever happened, right? I went to work, I sat all day, I went home, I sat. It was, it's one of these things that when I hear people having a tremendous, this completely changed my life. It was kind of a non-event in that I just kind of went, I'm pretty young to be feeling this old. Had trouble going downstairs because my ankles are stiff, but there was nothing wrong. And so I I really kind of looked around the leadership table, actually, because I was about 10 years younger than everybody there. And I thought, wow, they look old. I have time to make a difference. And so I started exploring and worked with a really good Pilates teacher for a while just to, I had this black box of my low back and hips and she helped me come into that. But what I really came into was actually being able to sense myself. I thought about myself. I had feelings about myself. I had stories I told myself about myself, but I didn't really sense myself in my body. And often people, they think, oh, they do. But what they sense is when something hurts or feels really tired, or it's really uncomfortable, but otherwise we unplug. And so I really started connecting into my body. It led me into starting a martial art at age 46. So I trained Aikido, and I'm 10 years later, I'm prepping for my black belt test this year. So it's been a journey to really say, it's never too old to try something new. There's always something positive to be gained by kind of investing back into the love and care and movement of your own body. And I was very much inspired, I think, throughout my life. I have a mother who's lived with MS, 
and she's 87 now. And so is in a wheelchair just because the likelihood she would fall from standing is just too high now. But I I watched how she always did something to support herself in the way that was needed. And so she had found a way to thrive in the way that she could with that lifelong limitation. And so it really kind of motivated me to niche myself into supporting balance and mobility in my work, because even with the clients I see with MS, can't change the disease, but we can improve their balance. And so it's one of those small, take it for granted things in your life that can really make a difference and change what's possible for someone. So that's a bit of my story in a nutshell. A lot of my friends lately have been diagnosed with MS and it's just, there's so many different approaches to it. And I'm so happy that you found something like this, that you can support people with it and it's not invasive Mm -hmm. and it's not drugs and it's not pharmaceuticals. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I'm right. I I'm about a year and a half out of my certification. So I'm, I'm certified as a Feldenkrais practitioner. That's a four year program. But as I was wrapping that up, I wanted to do some case studies. So working 10 sessions with someone so I could really say, this is where they started. This is where they finished. And so I ended up connecting with a gentleman, rural farmer, northern, further north than me in in Alberta. And he lived with MS. And balance is a huge issue, falling. And for him, very much, he couldn't feel the ground very well, the kind of nerve damage, so that we did some work to see if that would shift. And it didn't in the time that we worked together. But what we did was really lean into the visual part of your balance system, because there's there's sort of three main processes going on all the time that create what we call balance. And so we really made sure that his visual system was really working well, well attuned, so that he could avoid those situations. If you he would describe walking out in the yard at night, he would fall because he couldn't see the ground and it's dark. And and so we sort of said, okay, there's some things you need to make sure you're not in that situation, but also let's improve how you use your eyes for your balance so that you're just less likely to be set up um, for that moment. And at his age, his situation really helpful. And the weird little offset was he his one of his hobbies was painting. And he did lot like really lovely paintings, but some part of him had shut down from that. And so all that focus on seeing, sort of seeing differently, he started painting again. And so because he had a painting for his granddaughter that he had to finish. And so he was able to connect, we did no overt work on his painting. But that way of using his eyes shifted how he approached his hobby. So it was one of those, like, the way you move, you could say it's over here, but it, but how you use your eyes affects everything you look at, right? So it it opened up something for him that was unexpected for me, but, but fantastic to see because he got so much pleasure from the hobby. That's amazing. And having that creativity open up for him, that must have been amazing as well. Well, because he clearly had it, but somehow he, what he was struggling with, it just had kind of shut down within him. 
And so I don't, I think I just created conditions that he could find in himself the way to start and do that again. So, so that's great. I mean, I, I'm unlooked for benefit, but I'm glad that it worked for him. That's awesome. Now in your bio, you talk about cultivating your somatic intelligence. Can you talk about that a little bit, please? Yeah. So I I find that in our society, maybe not everyone's like this, but we tend to kind of be thinkers. We might be feelers, but when it comes to sensing and it comes to moving, we tend to, it tends to be a little uneven mix. The number of people I talked to that said, well, I thought about going for a walk, but I didn't. So they had a thinking event but they declined the walking for a sofa event or whatever. And so one level I think about somatic intelligence is what if all four of those thinking, feeling, sensing, and moving were fully represented in our day-to-day lives. And so it could be things like, I'll, I'll just say, I love my chocolate. And so time slows down because I know how to savor that bite of chocolate. So the taste, the feel, the texture, the smell, I open my senses because I enjoy that. I ask the question of what if that sensory input, not just when you're savoring something, but as you carry something, as you're walking on the ground, that you really can get significant inputs from how you're sensing your environment are also part of the information that you you use to make decisions, to decide I'm going to walk downstairs this way compared to that way. And so uh, one level I work with people just to bring everything online so it's active, so that you can use it. But what I find is once we start to function in that way, that we're guided as much, well, not as much, but when appropriate, by sensing, or in our movement, if I go, I'm a gardener, so if I go to lift the really heavy bag of soil, and I've approached it in a way that I probably can lift it, but my low back's going to scream at me like the next day, that I can make little adjustments through all of that. So I never really have that bad outcome. I'm changing and responding to weight I'm lifting, changing my movement, working with myself so that I'm responsive to what's happening in the moment, in my environment. And so I find when people start to kind of occupy their day in that way, there's this higher level of intelligence. And you you could sort of look at it as if you're only really thinking and feeling and you move in order to get something done, but you're not really present in yourself, you've only got two of four burners going, right? And in in your stovetop. And so there's something about you can really start cooking when all of those come together and just more is possible for you. So when I when people say how was it for you to start a martial art? Well, at the beginning it was crazy hard. Like the first 6 months, I've never been so sore, never been so stiff. As I started to be able to develop more of that somatic intelligence for myself, my speed of learning increased. So I increasingly could learn and then not do things that made me so stiff. You could say, oh, you got more conditioned. But I also think I learned how to move just more wisely, more intelligently. And it's a feedback loop. The more you do it, the better you get at it, like any other skill. 
And it's funny because a lot of healthcare practitioners talk about mindfulness where you are present with your emotions and you're here at this time, but you've expanded it. So it's mindfulness basically on steroids because you're introducing two other aspects to mindfulness, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, I mean, mind and heart is great, but it's it, in my world, it's only half half of what we can do. Just a quick break, because I need to share this with you. In the past, I had a lot of pain in my shoulder, my knees, my ankle, and I know it's from my background of playing baseball. I used to be a carpenter from driving and even working on my computer. I tried everything, and still I'd be on the couch with my heating pad in pain. Well, lately a friend introduced me to a new product called NutraSwish. Things changed for me. I'm not kidding you, within days, no pain. And now I've been taking it for a few months, and what a difference. NutraSwish is all about glutathione. I didn't even know what glutathione was. Well, you know what? I sure do now. If you are experiencing pain, especially nerve damage, I encourage you to take a look. You can find out more in the show notes or go to www.therelaxationlounge.info and there's a tab above that says pain. Back to the show. And I love how you're bringing that all together, the thinking, the feeling, the sensing, and the moving. Now, how can you use that mind-body connection to reduce stress? Yeah, it's it's so important. There's information out there that says by the time you're conscious of feeling stressed, your body has probably been experiencing 30 to 60 seconds of stress response. So in many ways, our mind is the last on board to know that we're stressed. And so we do tend to focus a lot on stress and stress reduction. What I tend to work with people on is how sometimes I get stressed in traffic, right? You're driving and someone cuts you off or there's ice, but it's like a switch is flipped and you're vigilant and you're, oh my God, and your heart starts to race. So we can flip the calm switch as well. And it's one of the biggest, I think, disservices that so much is focused on stress and stress reduction, but we don't actually think about in our body, we can flip calm as well as we can flip stress. And it's as fast and can shift our state. And so it's something I can do a starter version of that really simply with someone in a minute. So we could walk through that if if you're interested about flipping the calm switch. But it's a way for us to flip out of that survival kind of stress response back into the more parasympathetic, regulated nervous system so that all all of the things, whether it's muscles get tightened, the breath gets shorter, the the blood changes, how it circulates, like you, you just flip the switch back. I would love a demonstration of flipping the switch back. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And so really helpful if you're sitting, people say, oh my God, you're the posture princess because every time I'm around you, I have to sit up straight. What what I tend to focus on is not good posture. It's are you well supported? So if you're sitting, major components, feet flat on the floor so that you actually can receive the support of the ground rather than holding yourself up or collapsing on it. And then when we sit, our pelvis is kind of like this big bowl and there's bony 
sections right on the bottom. If you're in a place you can, you can stick your own hand under your butt cheek and feel that bony place. We really want to be set up on the sort of a bottom and front of those sit bones. And then our whole skeleton actually gives us a bunch of support without us having to hold. We don't have to hold up anything. We can just rest on our skeletal self. So I, I mentioned that because doing this work without kind of setting up that playground, you're again, you're working against yourself. Basically, the whole where our kind of parasympathetic calming bits are, are sort of what I call it's from our jaw down to our pelvic floor in this kind of runway in the front of us. And we we're so used to holding tension, like even even now in listening, your jaw is up against your upper lip rather than released, right? I always joke a little bit, teenage boys are the only people in society that walk around with their jaw down, but they're they're relaxed. So the first thing is to, I would call just let your jaw, if you want to kind of let your tongue out, you can do that too, but just let this tension drop for a bit so, so that you can get a sense of all the little holding up here does a part to elevate all of that. And and to also sort of have a sense of we hold a bunch of tensions in our neck, partly because if I slump, then I have to actually use my muscles in my neck and head to hold my head up. If I'm on top of my spine, then I can let my neck go. So I, I tend to go a bit of a uh, just widen widen your neck, let this go. Then I you could do a bunch of details here. But I tend to think about if you let your low belly plop and and for women, we're kind of told to keep keep it in, keep it tight. So this sense of this upper upper drop and low belly plop, just so that the tension of what holds us here, we we actually let that go. And so I tend to train people to do that on an out breath. So I breathe in and then I drop and plop just to let that release. Then two other things that aren't so physical, but help with this comp switch. So one is to really think about what makes your heart shine, something that you connect to that that lights your heart up. So I've got two little cats. I'm surprised they haven't come to join us already because they're kind of Zoom addicts. So if you connect with something that makes that inner heart smile, You've done the drop and the plop, a little bit of an inner snarl, and then a kind of radiating. So sometimes I use light imagery, so the sense I'm just shining out. But sometimes with kids or whatever, it's like your favorite pizza is hovering in the air around you and you have to expand until you can reach a piece. It's whatever brings you into this expansion. So drop, plop, shine, expand. So if we do that and we and we develop a little practice, I, I do it on an out-breath because in Aikido, when I get too amped, I get too tight, I train with some big guys, the survival instincts kick in, I can put all this on and go back to that expansive thing in a, in a second. So so it's a little practice that you can do anywhere. And I've learned to keep the, the if I'm in a meeting and things get tight, I keep the jaw thing a bit subtle rather than... but. <laughs> I just release it so I can literally flip back to calm and then reset from there. 
It's amazing how much tension we do hold in our face, whether it's our jaw, our forehead. I mean, it's the jaw mostly, but it is the forehead as well. And then it does, it travels to our neck, our shoulders. We're always tensed up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, we're so familiar. It's so habitual. We, it's hard to detect. And that's, that's a huge part of the work that I do with people to increasingly listen to themselves. So I can tell the difference between, I, I have people that come and their shoulders are kind of their earrings. They're up, right up. And I say, oh, so can you relax your shoulders? And they go, okay. And they move barely. They, do, they don't know how high they are because that tension is normal. And so working to be able to distinguish when it's really contracted and then how it can be lowered. To me, that's a sensing learning journey because sensory wise, they go, I am relaxed. What do you mean? But their shoulders are up by their ears. So now your approach, kind power. Can you explain that a little bit for us? Oh, sure. Yeah, Denise. So I find that people, when they go to move in ways that maybe they're not quite sure about how to do it, or they're a little insecure, we tend to make big effort. I'm going to try hard. I'm going to force it. And so what I find when I work with people, they come to me when their bodies have kind of give all of that work. It's almost like a form of self-violence. So I really want to help people learn how to listen to themselves better, go slower, take the time to find the easier, less efforting way. It's the difference between I do everything and I'm a big incandescent light bulb versus a little efficient LED bulb. It can be twice as bright, but half the energy. So really trying to help them find that way and and how to listen to themselves to get that way and replace that effort of I'm going to try hard because what I find as we age all that effort tends to really show up in inflammation in the joints wearing of the joints some parts of us get overused some parts of us get underused and so a lot of the the complaints that I see in my clients it's because that process has been happening with them for decades And they literally don't know there's another way to learn, improve, whether it's movement performance in a sport or just like how they get around their day to do it. So it's easier and actually can be like a nurturing physical experience for them. Absolutely. That's the thing. We are hard on ourselves and we're so used to pushing that line. Here's the line. We got to push towards the line and we're always forcing ourselves to do things. And I love that kind power. It's just... It just even feels better. (laughs) Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. And and we tend to feel like I'm good enough. I've done good enough, but it's like there's a way to be kinder to yourself in, in doing it. Or it's we're not good enough. So we push ourselves to things that we're not really even supposed to be doing because it doesn't feel right. And we're all different too. And I mean, at our age as well, I mean, I've suffered with shoulder issues and knee issues and and ankle issues, which I'm fine with now. But I mean, when you're doing different things, don't people tend to push it and then they pay for it. As you said, then you've got the inflammation and you're doing more damage. And then you're stuck Mm -hmm. in a completely different problem because now you have an issue. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's right. Now, I understand you have a quiz. Can you talk about that a little bit? (laughs) Yeah, it was after working with clients for a few years, 
I was really seeing some different trends come. And so I, I made this movement wisdom quiz for midlifers, I call it, because I really, really got struck by it when I was in my 40s, coming into 50. I watched people I knew shift. So there were people who they'd kind of been sedentary, maybe a little active. And I watched the aging process happen to them, this midlife kind of thing, right? And it was astonishing the gap that's opened up and continues for people that have some kind of level of of movement, health practice, uh, habit, and people that really don't. I'm watching these radically different trajectories happen in the difference between what I what I would call our lifespan, the number of years we live, and our health span, which is the number of years that we live with any kind of sense of vitality. I just, I didn't like the downward trend. So I, I made this quiz to have people just say, it's not so much about I walk three time, 30 minutes for three times a day and, and it's healthy. It's more like those hidden habits of how I approach doing movement and where I see that in 10 years from now, what's that going to mean for you? And so I include in that people who are super athletic and they go out there and they train for the 10K because they, as they approach mid-age and come through it, their movement habits are also setting themselves up for things like overuse, for real injuries, for things that'll be much harder to recover from. And they don't need to stop moving. They need to change some of their habits. So as you said, people that just go and then they've gone too far, you can kind of absorb that in your 30s and even 40s. In your 50s and 60s, less so, right? It starts to have a real impact, that kind of habit. Absolutely. So we're going to be wrapping this up. So what are Cheryl's words of wisdom that she's leaving with the audience today? I would say... I really want people to connect with how good their movement can feel. It's one of these things, it's a means to an end, but to really get down on the ground, roll around, pretend you're four years old again, because if you watch little kids, they just love moving. It's so so to connect into yourself, even even in self-touch, it's how do you really enjoy the feeling of your own skin? And invest a minute, two minutes in that in a regular way. It'll help awaken your, your sensory life. Wonderful. So I'll be putting Cheryl's links and information wherever you're watching or listening to this. So if you have any questions, please feel free and reach out and ask Cheryl questions. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Cheryl. It was great information because what a lot of us do sit behind the desk for too long. And I find myself, I'm very aware and I do get up and do different things and switch things up. But still, the last few days I've been working on social media things and you're just that intensity when you're sitting at a desk. My shoulders are killing me. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That's right. Time to do some nice stretches and take a nice long bath. (laughs) That's right. Leaving you a gentle reminder to slow down, enjoy life, and I'll see you in the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Calm Your Daily Stress Podcast. Have you ever wondered what your stress personality is? Are you a self-care goddess or a burnout queen? 
Well, you can find out by taking my free quiz. You just need to go to www.stressquiz.info to find out where you rank. Sending you love and peace, and I'll see you in the next episode.